Hello and welcome to Turning Point Sermons. My name is Cameron Howell and I sure am excited that you're here today. We have a special sermon by Pastor Steve Hobbins entitled, The Most High God. Boy, I'm glad you're here this morning and looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 14? We are in a series and started last week with uh, preaching on the name of the Lord and how important that is. And boy, that's been a a blessing already, that passage. But we're going to preach on the names of God. And this week is the first name of God that we're going to look at. And uh, we come to it here early in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14. And uh, a unique story. It's a story in the life of Abraham. It includes Lot. And, but this is probably one of the, uh, maybe the lesser known stories in the life of Abraham. And uh, we'll look at this together. Would you stand with me, please? Genesis chapter 14. And uh, we are going to, I'm going to walk our way through the whole chapter. And uh, I'm, I've even been uh, uh, stretching uh, my jaws and my tongue out for when we uh, uh, read through the list of folks here in a little bit in verses 1 through 11. But I'm not going to ask you to do that. All right. I don't want to hurt anybody here today. I don't want us to, to, to pull a tongue muscle or something, but you'll see when we get there what I'm talking about. But look down in verse 13. These kings have come and taken Lot, and uh, there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. And of course, this is Abraham, but it's later that God changes his name to Abraham. Right now, he's known as Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. Verse 14, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. It says his brother Lot. Okay. Now, this is, Lot is his nephew, but they would refer to uh, people a little bit differently in their day. Uh, remember when Abram lied about uh, Sarah being his wife and said, she's my sister. And back then, they could have said that. It wasn't his sister. It was, his, it, it was uh, a little more remote than that, but that close enough family connection, so he was telling a half-truth anyway. Lot, his brother, it's actually his nephew, but they would refer to it when, uh, when they're talking about people a little closer than we would. Let me just put it that way. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavi, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, And he was the priest of, here's the name, the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldst say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eschol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. And uh, we're going to look at here the, the El Elyon, the most high God. And uh, I've, I've been encouraged. One of the, one of the, the thoughts, the main... Uh, motivations 
uh, last year as I began to plan for this year and of course uh, all the the changes and the uh, adjustments that we're having to make last year and thinking Lord what do you want me to to uh, preach on this next year and the Lord led me to the names of God and I've experienced some of the encouragement this week in the preparation that I trust will be an encouragement to you as we uh, look to what it means that we know the Most High God, El Elyon, and uh, trust this will be a help to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless now this, this time, this message. Thank you for the truth that we have in your word. I pray that we would stay very close to it. May we realize that you are not just a God of Abram, but you are our God as well. And you're the same. You love us. You care for us. You are truly wonderful. We've sung praise to your name already this morning. And we don't want that just to be lip service. We want that to be from the heart. And we want a passage like this to remind us why we sing from the heart to you, Lord. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is a name, El Elyon, that gives us priority and uh, it's easy in life to forget our priorities and uh, came across this story uh, a little while ago and I, I, I believe it's a true story I'm not sure but a, a woman went to a pet store and she purchased a parrot and uh, she it, to keep her company and she, she took her parrot home and, and uh, but the, returned the next day to the pet store and says I want a parrot to keep me company but the, the parrot hasn't said anything and the storekeeper thought for a moment, and they said, well, i tell you what you need. Uh, a lot of times, parrots like a mirror. Put a little mirror in there, and they can see themselves. And uh, it's, it, it's almost like they have company, and it just distracts them a little bit. And uh, maybe it'll get the parrot talking a little bit. So she bought a mirror and took it home. And, well, she came back the next day and said nothing from this parrot. He said, I know. He said, a lot of times in a birdcage, uh, we'll put a little bit of a, we'll put a ladder and uh, they like to, you know, hop from one step to the other, and it just occupies them, and maybe that's what this, this parrot needs. So she bought a little ladder and put it in there. She come back, came back the next day and said, nothing, still nothing, no talk. And I, I, bought, I bought a parrot, I want to hear this thing talk. I said, I tell you what, you have a swing. Get a swing for this bird, and a lot of times they'll, they'll move on, they realize it starts moving, and they'll swing themselves, it occupies them. And it could be before long, this parrot will be talking to you, talking your ear off. Well, she came back the next day and she was distraught. She said, my parrot died. He said, oh my. She said, all the things that you recommended to me and my parrot died. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Did the parrot ever say anything before it died? She said, as a matter of fact, it did. Really? What did the parrot say? So the parrot said, don't they have any food down there? And then the parrot died. And uh, uh, true story, true story. Uh, it's a story of priorities, right? Who cares about a ladder, a mirror, a swing? Parrot needed food. And it's just a good reminder to us, silly little thing, that we often get things out of priority. But when we come to Genesis 14, we are introduced to a name of God. We're introduced to a, a significant character. We've already been, before this in Genesis, introduced to, a, to Abraham. So he is not the character. The previous chapter, we learn a good deal about Lot, so he's not the character. We're introduced to a man in Scripture who uh, 
we don't hear a lot about, but is significant, a man named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek introduces us to a name of God that helps us prioritize. And it's so easy for us to get out of priority that it's great to come to a name like this and to be able to reset our priorities with a name, El Elyon, the Most High God. And then Abram uses this name after Melchizedek introduces it. Uh, we often get our lives out of perspective and we overlook the most important priority of our life, having God in his solitary, supreme place in our life. Now, if I could direct your attention to Genesis chapter 14, when we get down to verse 22, it says, And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God. When he says the Lord, that is Jehovah. That is Yahweh, the name of God. That is God's name. And then he calls him the Most High God. The Lord, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. May I say this this morning? God is supreme above everything. I could say, and it's true, God is supreme above all other gods, but the truth of the matter is, there aren't any other gods. It's not that he is the greatest in the pantheon. He is the only. He is the most high God. He is the only God. Uh, no one else and nothing else ever can or ever will challenge God's rulership over the universe. I'm here to tell you this morning that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. That God is the supreme, he is the most high God. I like how the songwriter put it, every power on earth and in heaven is a shadow in his light. No authority, law, or government challenges his sovereign might. His reign and rule have no boundary. All that is, his hands have wrought. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. Why do we love that song? Because it's beautiful? Yeah, it is beautiful. Because we, we, it rallies our hearts and we hear other Christians singing it, as Kevin mentioned this morning. Yeah, a little bit. But the reason we love that song is because we can't help. And the reason it rallies our hearts is because we can't help but be stirred when we think he is the most high God and nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. Well, how does this apply to us? He is above all my problems. He is above all my deficiencies. He is above all my inadequacies. Every problem that I had this week, he is above everything. And the songwriter goes on to address how the most high God that no one can challenge, how that affects our life. First, our salvation. We are well aware we were orphans once, bent and broken in our shame then he sought us out and adopted us. Now we bear his royal name. Every sin or crime we have ever done is no match for Jesus' blood. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. Not just in the universe, but even our sin stain is no match for Jesus' blood. And then the last verse, we are rescued out of darkest night, free from Satan's evil hold, and the kingdom of our Savior's light is our soul's eternal home. Though the enemy tries to steal and kill what the death of Christ has bought, nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. 
I think we get excited about our salvation, and rightfully so. But may I tell you, your salvation is not secure because you have anything to do with it. It's secure because we are saved by the Most High God. And he isn't up for election. He's beyond any insurrection. Nothing can touch him. He is supreme. And that's the name we look at today. So, do you realize what this does to our faith? In fact, this morning, you no doubt already felt a little bit. We think of that. We focus on that. We think yeah, it, just, it just empowers us. It stirs up. It engenders our faith. It begets faith. It strengthens our faith to know it doesn't have anything to do with us. If it has to do with us, we are well aware of our inadequacies. But when we focus on him and we see the perfection that is him and the, the fact that he is overall, he is the most high, boy, it, it stirs our faith. Now, how did we get down to this in Genesis 14 and verse 22? How did we get there? Let's look through the passage, okay? And uh, I'm going to ask here for just a moment when we look at this first point and I begin reading, I'm just going to, uh, it's, like, it's like in the south, this is a little more common, somebody gets up to sing and they say, y'all pray for me right? I don't usually say that, but when I'm reading these verses, in just a moment, y'all pray for me, okay? Uh, I have a medic standing by just in case. We'll see, you'll see what I mean when we look at these verses. I was reading them again and again going, oh boy. All right, first of all, I want you to see what's going on in this passage. We see a conflict between kings here in the first 11 verses. Notice, and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elaser, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these, these kings, made war with, it's not enough to say they made war, it's got to tell us all the other kings they're making war with, right? With Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the valley of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. This would be before uh, the, 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 the salt sea existed. I believe it ex it's a result of uh, the great salt sea there is a result of Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction, which doesn't happen uh, until chapter 19, and we're in chapter 14. But anyway, he refers to it because it's written after this. Uh, Twelve years, verse 4, they served Chedorlaomer, and in the 13th year they rebelled, and in the 14th year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephaims and Ashtaroth, Carnaim, and the Zuzims and Ham and the Emims and Shaveh, Kirathaim, and the Horites in their Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hezazan Tamar. <laughs> I told you, right? Okay, boy. Whew, gotta get, okay. And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the valley of Sidon, with Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, king of nations, and Amrapho, king of Shinar, and Ariot, king of Elaser, four kings with five. That means four of them fighting with five. And the vale of Sidon was full of slime pits. I worked in a place like that once. <laughs> And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. All right, so we got the conflict here of the kings. 
these kings are fighting back and forth. What does that have to do with anything? Ah, they also got Lot. We see this conscription of Lot in verse 12, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. You know, why did Lot get taken? If we went back a chapter, we would see where Lot made a choice. He was given a choice by Abram. Do you want to go this way or do you want to go this way? And Lot got his eye caught right here and said, I want to go that way. And he chose to go to Sodom because it reminded him of Egypt. The passage describes that, that like the well-watered plains, like, like Egypt was at that time. Well, how would he know about Egypt? Well, if we went back further in the story of Abraham, we would see that Abraham went to Egypt to sojourn there during a famine. And he had Lot with him, and Abram escaped out of there, and Abram got out of Egypt. But he never got Egypt out of Lot's heart. The decisions that we make affect other people. And now... In the previous chapter, you have Lot deciding, that's where I want to set up home. It was the best of the land, and that's what Lot thought mattered. Lot was enamored with beautiful things. He was enamored with the things of this earth. And by the way, all the pretty toys shine brightly around us. All the different things glisten and gleam. I must keep my eyes on Jesus, my Savior. He has promised heavenly treasure to me. But it's so easy for us to get our eyes on things of this world and think, oh, look at that car. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not, ups- I'm not uh, criticizing or condemning us seeing something that looks nice or seeing something that uh, is, is neat. We have different things that, that attract our attention. That's fine. But when those things get our heart and we think, I have to have the nicest fill-in-the-blank, then this world is more of a home to us than God wants it to be. We are pilgrims and strangers passing through. But Lot made his choice as a dweller here. And as a result of being around the wicked people of Sodom, Lot was taken when God brought some judgment on this king that was not intended for Lot, but he was just a casualty of the choices that he made. When we mingle with the world, we face God's judgment on the world that was not intended for God's people as a result because of our mingling with the world. Today is National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I'm glad that we are bringing attention to it. And I'm I'm glad that that video reminds us of of why that matters to us. And I don't think we have to have a video to do that, but it's helpful and it's special. And and how God has placed, he is the one who determines that life is sacred. But may I tell you, in this country, we better be praying for our country. Daniel prayed for his sins and the sins of his people. We need to be praying for our country and the sins of our country. And I, I, I don't think there's any doubt the greatest sin of our country is what happens day by day with the abortion of thousands of innocent lives. And in this country, when we become part of our country, and I'm not, I'm not this isn't a, a bash of the United States by any stretch of the imagination. I'm glad I live there. I believe this is the greatest country in the world, but, but our allegiance is to heaven. And when we see things in our country that are wrong, 
we as Christians must also oppose that, and I believe we do, and say that is wrong and condemn that and pray for God to forgive our country and to, to help us to heal our land of that wicked blight that is abortion. Lot paid for his sojourning in a wicked place. I, I don't think we partake of that. But I also think we better seek God's face and ask him to intervene in a way that we can't. Then we see the counterattack of Abraham here in verses 13 to 16, the first verses that we read today. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abraham. They got along with him. They, they were uh, um, friends, if you will. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Dan is a location, it's one of the tribes. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hoba, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Now, we're on a quest here to get down to verse... 22, it's going to be introduced in verse 18 and 19, 20 as well, to El Elyon, the most high God. But do you understand what has just happened here? He has chased these kings down. He has rescued his brother. He is in a conflict. He is in a battle. He is facing a trial. And you know one of the wonderful things about God? It is often in our greatest trials... I could say it this way, that we see more clearly who God is. But I'd rather say it, not just we see, God reminds us who he is. It's not just that we see it, it's God purposely lets Abram know who he is in a time of trial. In a time of battle where he is, is reacting and doing what he believes God wants him to do. Abraham already had a high view of God, but God reminds Abraham. This is the first time in the Bible that this name for God, El Elyon, the Most High God, is given. And God makes sure that he reminds Abram who he is. And may I tell you this morning, in the times of your greatest struggles and the times of your greatest trials, yes, we may see God more clearly, and I hope we do, and we should, but it's not just that we see God more clearly. God takes the initiative and says, my child needs to know in a clear and new way who I am. And he comes through in that trial. And that's exactly what happens here. He's going to reveal who he is when, in a time of great trial, when we see God as El Elyon, the Most High God, people don't scare us. These are, these are kings with armies that Abram gets 318 servants that he trained. Do you think they were out practicing for battle on a daily basis? Do you think they were practicing like an army would? No. So when it says he trained them, it's not like there's this incredible, they're, they're, they're doing war games and they're preparing for such a scenario as this. No, he gets his 318 servants and so let's go. 
Let's go. Where are we going? We're going after those kings. Those kings have armies. Those kings have armies that are so good that after they were besieged, after they were attacked, they were able to withstand it and overthrow the other kings who also had armies. These kings know what they're doing. Their armies know what they're doing. And Abraham says, let's go get them. What is wrong with you, Abraham? Because when you see God as the most high God, I follow the most high God. You think I'm afraid of what people can do to me? It's not that there were 318. They were insignificant. God is the significant in this story. Abram says, I'm the follower of the most high God. Let's go get him. And these men followed him. That's incredible. And they got him, and they overthrew him, and they took back all the goods, and they also happened to bring back Lot. Why do I say that? Because in this day and age, we can get afraid of people. Do you know what's going on in our country? No, I've had my head buried in the sand. I don't know what's going on. Yes, we, know. we all know, have an idea of what's going on in the country, or at least what, whatever our source of news has told us, because they never lie. But we start thinking, oh, man, they're going to they're gonna do this, and they're going to give away this, and they're going to do this, and they're going to have this, and they're going to appoint this, and they're going to do this. And we st- our blood pressure starts rising. I get it. But I'm telling you this morning, we need a reminder that the most high God rules in the kingdom of man, and we serve him, and he is the most high. El Elyon. He wasn't afraid of people. That reminds me of Daniel. We're going to throw you in a lion's den if you worship your God. Is that right? He rose up the next morning, opened those windows. Why didn't he just keep the windows shut? Because he wasn't afraid of man. When you serve the king of kings, when you serve the most high, men don't scare you. Three Hebrew children. You're going to bow or we're going to throw you in the fire. Throw away. Because our God's going to spare us. Are you sure? Well, if not, we're still not going to buy. They throw them in there. How many we throw in there? Three. How many do you see? Well, it looks to be four in there. You recognize that fourth one? It looks to me like how he would recognize him, I don't know. But he said, it looks to me like that fourth one's like the son of God. <laughs> I don't know, did he? Hello, my name is on his side how did he recognize them right god made sure he knew why didn't those men bow because when you serve el elion the most high god people don't scare you let's go let's counterattack. what do you mean counterattack? these are trained servants trained armies the armies don't matter my friend why do you think god told joshua i want you to lead the people around jericho and i got a plan we're going to walk around in silence Ooh, i like it we're going to surround them. Brilliant. We're not going to say anything. Sneak attack. Brilliant. But they are not going to. And we're going to do this seven days in a row. Can you imagine that many people out in the desert walking around a city in the heat of the day and not one of them being allowed to complain? <laughs> That's the miracle. Then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times and not talk. Man, by that, by that seventh day, number one, they're tired of walking. They know what to expect. They know what it's going to feel like. Oh, man, seven times, and we're still not allowed to talk. But then we're going to blow the trumpets. Ha-ha, attack. Here, finally we get to attack. What they didn't, yeah, the walls are going to fall down. 
Why did God do that? Because God wanted to remind them. It doesn't, it's not the plan. It's not your power. It's my presence. Why did God tell David, I don't want, well, he, it, it was reminded to David, but God said even before there were any kings, don't go counting the people because you count the people, you're going to start thinking the people matter. You're going to start thinking the power is the power of man and you're impressed with the power of man. I don't want you to count the people. And so when David counts the people, God had to punish him. Why? Because God is reminding him, it's not the people, it's my presence. We have the presence of the most high God in our lives. Not just there at Jericho, not just in Daniel's room, not just in in the, the lion's den or in the fiery furnace. We have the most high God's presence in our life. We don't have to fear people. Woo, that encourages me this morning. Oh, we get down to that. We were already looking at the words to that song. I like the tag on that song. Our God is victorious. He always wins. And in case you didn't hear it, it repeats it. He always wins. In love, he reigns over us. He always wins. He always wins. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. And we get so caught up singing that that people don't pay attention that I change the words all the time. And we're saying, and he always wins. I start adding stuff like, he never loses. He's undefeated. He's the all-time great. People don't pay attention because they're all saying, he always wins, he always wins. I'm just giving things that are synonymous that remind me of who he is. You don't have to change the words. That's fine. But I'm getting carried away thinking, it's never even been close. We see the counterattack of, Abraham, and then we see the convocation of Melchizedek. Look at his prayer here, his blessing. Verse 17, and the king of Sodom, Abraham just rescued him, went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer. And the kings of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavi, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And the Bible says he was the priest of the most high God. Now, this is one of the most significant characters in all the Bible. He's dealt with in Hebrews, and Hebrews says that he is a type of Christ. In fact, Jesus is the high priest. Well, wait a second. How can he be a high priest? He came from the tribe. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and all the priests came from Levi. Well, Hebrews points out, yes, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so he starts describing who Melchizedek is and the priest of the Most High God. Abram doesn't know this man. And look at the blessing that he says. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the most high God. And here's what that means. Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God. He blesses Abram. He also blesses God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now we're going to say something about when Abram repeats that here in a moment. Because this is the first time the most high God, El Elyon, is introduced in scripture. But Abram received the blessing of this man. And may I say this, when we see God as El Elyon, the most high God that he is, we can receive his blessing. Okay, so, okay, I'm going to acknowledge he's the most high God. All right, start blessing. (laughs) Let me clarify. God's blessings are on God's people who align themselves with God's character. And that's just somebody who says, oh, I learned a new name at church today, El Elyon, the most high God. Good, I'm aligned with him. God, start pouring out the blessings. I'll back the truck up. Put it right there in the bed of the truck. Just go ahead and start sending it on down. No, no, no. God's blessings are on Abram because God's blessings are on God's people. Good, sign me up. Oh, 
who align themselves with God's character. Now, you understand, we all fall, fall short of God's character. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God has given us a book that if we live by, will slowly change us to conform us to the image of his son and causes our life to start aligning. It gives us a blueprint for our life to start aligning our life with the character of God. Be ye holy for what? I am holy. God is a merciful God. We sang about a wonderful, merciful Savior. I love that. I hadn't thought of that song in reference to how many names of God or the character of God that it describes this morning. I was so glad that we sang that. So appropriate. Because we have a merciful Savior who delights in mercy, that's what he wants of us. He wants us to delight in mercy. We looked last year at God's grace, not just so we'd appreciate God's grace to us so that we would emulate God's grace in our lives, God, emulate his grace to others, being gracious to people. This, this doesn't surprise me, and this isn't just, a, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this type of thing. But it, 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 earlier this year, I was made aware that somebody was a bit ingracious to someone else in our church, and that disappointed me. And by the way, before you think I'm, I'm sitting here in the, the seat of judgment or even the seat of the scornful, this happens with me all the time. Where I'm realizing in my life, ah, you go through a whole year emphasizing God's grace to other people, and look at how you just treated so-and-so. I have to tell myself two or three times a week, and that's probably not often enough, be nice. Why? Because circumstances got me irritated. And I, be nice. You don't even know that person. I was talking to someone on the phone the other day, and I was not getting the customer service that I deserved. And I'm saying, hey, this is what it's going to, no, th no, that's not going to happen. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And I, in my mind, I'm going, okay, you can, you can be firm. We understand customer service, but all that person is doing is answering a phone. And they're trying to talk to you. And years ago, I tell you, on, on our honeymoon, when we stayed, I, I had a, this is an impressive credit card, $600. It was, it, was a, it was a thing of beauty. And I was using that to reserve a car on our honeymoon down in Florida. And I knew $600 didn't go far. So when we stayed down, downtown Toledo our first night, I went and reserved it with a credit card. And I said, don't put this on a credit card. I'm going to pay with cash. And they said, okay, we'll just reserve it. Well, when I got down to Florida with my bride, and we didn't have any cell phones, and we got there to the rental car, they're saying, oh, you don't have enough room on this card. What do you mean I don't have enough room on this card? So I called the credit card company, and they said, oh, the last charge was, and they named the hotel that we had stayed at. So I called them and said, hey, I told you, not, I gave you cash, and you charged the credit card. Oh, well, we'll take care of it in a couple days. No, I don't think you will. <laughs> and I'm having to use the phone there in, in the rental car agency. And, and, and I'm, I'm a long story, and I won't tell the long story, but there was a young lady on the other end of the line. I said, listen, I said, I'm on my honeymoon. I said, right now, it's not going as I had planned, and I'm not happy, and you seem like a nice gal. Would you put somebody on the phone that I can get mean with? Because I think you're going to cry. You know what her answer was? Okay, just a minute. <laughs> 
now we're getting somewhere. Long story short, an hour and a half on the phone. And they finally got it cleared up. Well, have them call us. Uh, I, uh, no, no, we're not calling anybody. You let them call us. So, and we got it all. Everybody in the rental, workers and a couple others that were waiting at the rental car place, they all applauded when I was done and hung up. Yay! They were cheering for me. We, we understand. That was a bit extreme. But we understand. But listen, so often our actions don't reflect the character of God. And if we think, well, God's just going to bless me because I'm a child of God, you are mistaken. God blesses us when we align our character with God. And anytime we see our life out of line or unaligned with the character of God, and we, do, we, we repent and we ask forgiveness and we realign our lives, we put ourselves in a place of God's blessing. And Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, said, Blessed art thou, Abram, of the Most High God. God's going to bless you. Why? Because Abram's life was one that reflected the nature and character of God. And that's what a child ought to do for the father. It doesn't shock you, those of you that know my son, if you see something in him that reminds you of somebody else in his family, whether it's me, whether it's Angie, whether it's one of his sisters, we see that. Why? Because the nature of the son ought to reflect the father just by nature. We are a child of God, and our nature ought to reflect our heavenly father. Because people see us and they form an opinion about our Heavenly Father by what they see, which you're going to see here in just a moment. This, it says when, when he calls him El Elyon. When we see God as El Elyon, the most high God that he is, not only can we receive God's blessing, but God's blessing is all that matters to us. He didn't care that there was a parade he didn't want a trophy when he came home with the victory. He didn't want a bunch of... St All that mattered to him was God's blessing. Would God's blessing on us matter if we lost everything? That's what happened with Job. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He blessed God in that situation. He never did find out what happened, and yet God still blessed him. Why? Because it wasn't the things. It wasn't the good circumstances of life that caused Job to be excited. It was the fact that Job knew his Redeemer. And then, the end of verse 20, it says, and he gave him tithes of all. It's the priest of the Most High God, and after the blessing, Abram gives him tithes of all. This, these tithes, by the way, you understand, this is before the law. The law that came in that said this is what the tithe is expected to be. We deal more with this, we focus more of this in the month of February in our stewardship month. I've already begun preparing for that and looking forward to that. But this is a good reminder to us. This was a natural response, a tithe. A tithe is a tenth. He gave a tenth to the priest of the Most High God. Why? It was a natural response to God's blessing in his life. And I would tell you, the tithe from our life to God ought to be a natural response, not something that God is having to pry out of our fingers. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. That word cheerful there literally means hilarious. Don't give until it hurts. 
Give until it tickles. Right? Some of you are thinking, never been there. <laughs> never gave and made me laugh. Right? But that's a natural response. A natural response to what? To clearly seeing God, who is the most high, possessor of heaven and earth, thinking anything that I have, anything good that I have in my life had to come from him because he is the possessor of heaven and earth. And I want to give back to him out of a heart of love and appreciation. And that's what Abram did. Now we see the uh, concern of the king of Sodom. What was he worried about? His appeal, verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. He assumed that all Abram would care about was the goods. By the way, would, if he assumed about us that all we would care about is the stuff, would he be right? Are our priorities different than the priorities of those who don't even know God? I like to believe they would be. But notice the conviction of Abraham. Boy, I tell you, I love this kind of conviction. Verse 22, and Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Now let me pause here for a second. I want you to understand something that's happened here. This is unique in scripture. You've got Melchizedek, the priest of the most high God, who blesses Abram in the name of the most high God and then blesses the most high God. Only the first time in scripture this is used. And then Abram adopts that man's name for God and uses it. The question comes up, and this is really not part of the message, but this is the perfect time to put it in here. Often we'll come across a, a, a missionary, and I don't know that I would say often with the missionary because I don't know how often this is still happening, but a missionary comes to a group of people. This happened more in the old 50s, 60s, and so on when they're coming across people groups that have never once heard the gospel. And they're trying to figure out how to translate the language into their name, and they come across these people, and the people have a name for the creator God. Is there any precedence in Scripture for learning about who they have as their creator God and adopting that name? Or must we clarify the name and teach them about a brand new God they've never heard of and introduce his name as Jehovah? Well, here, Abram adopts this man's name for God and uses it. Now, I'm not, again, I could talk about this for a long time, and that's not the purpose this morning. But I do think some well-meaning people have come across people and they believe in a creator God. They just don't know that we call him Jehovah, a singular God. I'm not talking about a, a, a polytheist, a theistic view. And so he's one of the, a unique God. In fact, the missionary Don Richardson cited a study that was done at Indiana University years ago. Of, do those who how many uh, uh, of the uh, uh, people that have never heard that where there's not uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, uh, Christianity, and I can't remember if there was one other one, uh, but where those haven't been introduced to those other people, these people that haven't had that, do they have a one singular creator God? They may have other gods, but is there one who is a singular creator God? And the answer was 95% of the religions have that. And so he starts telling some stories about different people and how they assimilated the name of God into their society. It's really powerful. We won't go all into that here this morning. It's just something for you to, things that make you go, hmm, right? Some of you right now are trying to decide, do I agree with that or not? It's okay. This wasn't simply an announcement by Abram. Abram said, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. This wasn't simply an announcement about who God is. May I remind you this morning, God 
made clear to Abraham who he is before Abraham ever repeated it. Do you know that's the pattern? Before you tell someone about God, God has made it very clear to us who he is and what he's about. I believe, therefore have I spoken, said the Apostle Paul. God's so good to do that. And then notice verse 23. <clears throat> he says that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet and that I will not take anything that is thine lest thou shouldest say I have made Abram rich. So I told you earlier. Lest thou shouldest say. The view of God the world forms based on how they view our actions matters. And Abram did not want them to have a false view of God because of his actions. And he said, I don't even want a thread. If one of my men is walking and the latchet of their shoe falls off, I don't want you to replace that shoe latchet. I don't want you to give me one thing lest you think about my God that he cannot take care of me. My God is the possessor of heaven and earth. My God can take care of me. What you think of my God based on what you see or have learned from the way I respond matters. May I tell you, there are people that are forming an opinion of God based on you all the time. What view of God are they forming in their minds? Boy, that's powerful, isn't it? We better be careful of the testimony that we're given. Then we come down to verse 24. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. I'm not, that's, that's up to them. I'm not speaking for them. I can't speak for these guys that came with me. They, by the way, wouldn't have had any victory without Abraham. But Abraham's saying, as for me, I'm not taking a thread to a shoe latchet because I don't want you to get the wrong view of God by me and my actions. It's easy for us sitting here. We haven't had to chase any kings down. We're not worried about it. You weren't worried about your finances this week from the respect of Abraham. And well, if I came across some kings, no, you've you, you got your own worries and all of that. But when we think about it and think, well, man, if God used me to get this victory and I took back all of his stuff and I even tithed on what I had, wouldn't it? Because here's what I start thinking. I start thinking, well, I could have taken that stuff and I could have sold it. I could give that money to the poor and I could give that money to uh, the, the people that, that we owe money to or the creditors or we'd buy the new or we, we, you know, we start thinking and start. But Abraham said, no, finances are not going to make the decision in my life. I'm going to give God what is his and you can have the rest. I don't need you to bless me because my God is the possessor of heaven and earth. My God is the most high God and my God will take care of me. That's where we need to get as God's people. See, when we see God as El Elyon, the most high God that he is, stuff doesn't impress us. Oh, I'm going to get me a new, and many of us get new or whether it's brand new or new to us or I'm, I'm not condemning us today if you get something it's not wrong to have stuff it's wrong for stuff to have you well I gotta go to work so that I can have the nicest so that I can I was listening uh, again to I've read it several times before but Dave Ramsey the total buddy makeover 
And he's telling a bit of his story at the beginning, and he's talking about he borrowed money to be able to keep this nice car that he had. He had a, a guy co-sign with him. And finally, his friend had the audacity to come to him and said, you might want to sell that. Who does he think he is? And he said, then the bank came, and they, didn't, they not so nicely said, you might want to sell that because we're coming to take it back. And his point was, I was at such a place in my life where things mattered so much to me that I was a terrible testimony to God. How are we doing? We are connected to the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And yet, we are so impressed with stuff. I got to have the nicest house. I got to have the nicest clothes. I got to have, or even if it's not the nicest to compete with everybody, I got to have a nice house. I got to have a nice car, nice clothes. It's not wrong to want to have some nice things. It's wrong to think that everything depends on us and that we are not the children of the Most High God. And what does he say? Having food and raiment. Let us be there with content. Boy, that's tough for us in this society, isn't it? Because we want to have the nicest and the latest and we want to have all those things. And he says, listen, if you've got hardly anything and you've got Jesus, you've got everything. Boy, this is, this is tough preaching here in the affluent society in the United States of America. But what I'm saying this morning is we need a reminder. We need a reset on what matters to us. What would God do in this country with men and women of this kind of conviction that Abram had that said, I've got all this stuff. You can have it. I don't want any of it. My God will take care of me. Men with a backbone who say, I'm not changing. I'm not moving. Instead, we criticize people who are influenced, they're all bought and paid for, and yet we are not people of the same kind of conviction that we want to see in others. What could God do with a bunch of people who had the conviction of saying, I'm a child of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. There's nothing you can do to scare me, and there's nothing you can offer me to impress me. I've got him, I've got everything. See, if we make sure God is the highest priority of our lives, the other priorities just kind of fall into place. Well, God's given me this new job opportunity and I'm moving here or moving there and God moves us from time to time. I'm not criticizing somebody that does that. I am simply asking you, okay, but did you think about where are you going to go to church? Well, I can go anywhere and go to church. Yeah, but I think it's more than just, well, no matter where I land, I'm sure I'll find a church. No, I'm saying that ought to matter to us. Who is going to influence my children? That ought to matter to us. What, is, I understand, what it is is, well, they've offered me more money. They've given me a position. Wait a second. I, I think maybe that has impressed us too much. Instead of saying, God, this is, offer has been made to me and it, it's tempting me. But I want to make sure that you and I are in the right relationship because a job doesn't matter. You matter. It's not the job that provides for me. It's you 
that provides for me. And sometimes I think we forget that. El Elyon, the Most High God. Can I give you one last thing to help remember this? It's kind of corny, but it works for me. The Most High God, El Elyon, those three letters, Yon, this is not Bible. But it reminds me, he's yonder. He's way above me. I told you it's a little bit corny, but I remember El Elyon. Which one is that? Oh, yeah, that's the Most High. He's way above us. Something for you just to take away here this morning. Let's pray. Of course, this sermon is part of a series that Pastor Hobbins taught on the names of God and uh, really enjoyed this sermon. Um, and I, I like how it helps us reset our priorities and sees God as supreme um, and as God should be. He should take the precedence in our life. He should have the preeminence. And so uh, it's important for us to reevaluate our lives under this context that God is supreme. He is the most high God. You know, uh, a couple of things that I thought that Pastor Hobbins pointed out that are really applicable to us today. Uh, he mentioned that the decisions that we make affect others. And he used the example of Lot. And I think that's such a, a pivotal example for us to understand and to not only comprehend, but also to apply in our own lives. Um, you make decisions and they affect others. And so Lot here, uh, you know, of course, makes a decision to go a certain direction. His whole family is turned aside because of it. Um, but also, I would I would mention also that his extended family, uh, Abraham there was uh, affected by Lot's decision that he made. And so it's important for us to be careful um, about the decisions that we make and how they affect others. And it's a good reminder to us. Uh, the second thing that he mentioned that I really felt like was important for us, and I just want to uh, kind of capitalize here as we wrap up our sermon this week. Um, when we mingle with the world, we partake in God's judgment on the world. Um, and I think that's an important thing for us as Christians to remember and to apply in our own life. Sometimes God has some punishment that he has set aside specifically for those worldly individuals. Um, and when we get uh, entrapped in the world, when we get stuck in a position where we have partaken in a worldly lifestyle, where we've gotten away from Christianity, where we've followed that prodigal son kind of life, what inevitably happens, and as we see all throughout scripture, um, is that we end up partaking in the punishment that God had set aside for those disobedient worldly people. And so be sure in your own life um, be, be careful of your testimony, watch the way that it affects others, but also realize that by going aside, not only are you affecting others, but you're affecting your own outcome, the consequences and experiences, temptations, trials that you'll have to face as a result of turning aside from the Most High God. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you. Thank you for tuning in this week. God bless you.